Genesis chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 18. Um, last Sunday, uh, the Buffalo Bills played the Cincinnati Bengals in Cincinnati, and it brought up what happened a year ago. If it actually happened in uh, the end, it actually happened January 2nd of this year, but last season, when Damar Hamilton um, was uh, hit in such a way that he actually went into cardiac arrest, they brought the paddles out, they had to revive him on the field, the game was suspended. And it made national news. This article actually appeared in the Wall Street Journal. I just want you to know that this appeared in that magazine because that is not exactly a Christian publication. Just bear with it. Barton Swain wrote, How Damar Hamilton's Drove the Nation to Pray. The U.S. Supreme Court in June of 2022 ruled that uh, uh, Barrington, uh, Washington High School coach had improperly uh, was improperly fired for praying with players after the game. That was only the most recent high court case involving the question of prayer on public grounds, whether it is or isn't permissible. Americans, especially. American liberals have been obsessed with the question for more than 60 years. The idea that prayer is is, uh, improper at the biggest sporting events was all forgotten Monday, January 2nd, 2023. It happened nine minutes into the football game between the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. Bill safety, DeMar Hamlin, after a routine tackle, stood up and then collapsed. Minutes later, emergency medical staff delivered cardiopulmonary resuscitation, and the game was suspended. And suddenly, prayer was back on the list of things everyone could talk about or do on camera. Paycor uh, Stadium, where the Bengals play, is owned by Hamilton County. It's public property. But no one, as far as I'm aware, raised any objection to the midfield prayer offered up that Monday night. That's because the fall of DeMar Hamilton demanded a religious response. The ominous way that the, uh, in which the, uh, 24 year old dropped to the turf, not slumping or falling down, but falling backwards visually shocked the players and all that watched. Any legal or cultural prohibition attacking sporting event prayer was rescinded. Players went to their knees to contend in prayer. Commentators rightly sensing to go beyond the conventional reference of thoughts spoken repeatedly of prayers. Bengals fans hastily made signs appearing, pray for Buffalo number three, Hamlin. Fans of both teams gathered outside the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, to which Mr. Hamlet had been taken, 
for collective prayers for the young man. Suddenly prayer, the ancient activity of speaking to God in the belief that he can hear and respond was everywhere. Top-level coaches and players, former and present, posted appeals, pray for Damien, uh, Damar rather, pray for Damar, and forward, uh, former quarterback Don Orlowski discussing the game with two panelists on ESPN did now what it, uh, did until now unthinkable. He bowed his head and actually prayed with the two other commentators. Prayer was concluded and each said amen and you felt that they meant it. There is something natural and beautiful about the desire to entreat God to aid a gravely injured man. News reports uh, on uh, uh, Thursday indicate that Mr. Hamlin uh, was doing better than expectation. And and, uh, this was not to anyone's surprise. Prayer, especially interceding for another Prayer goes in and out of vogue and such. The one place it should be, rather than worrying about whether it's in the public arena, is, is it in the church? That's a good place to start. The world has gone crazy. And it's getting crazier by the minute. We've seen all the insanities of uh, uh, the war in, uh, in Israel. It's being uh, uh, put out there in a way that is just unique uh, in the sense of we're seeing pictures that usually are filtered by media that now get around because of the Internet and social media today that, is, that there are no filters. Add to that the insanity of the decline of society, the murders, the abortions, the homosexuality, the pornography, all of these things that saturate the divorce rate, that saturate the land. We know Jesus is coming soon. There is no way you can put all of these together and not say Jesus is coming soon. So what about those that don't know? What about those that are in the possibility of being left behind for the judgment that is going to fall on earth called the Great Tribulation? I want to minister a sermon I've entitled Intervention or Intercessory Prayer for the Lost. Genesis 18, beginning in verse 20. So the Lord told Abraham, I've heard a great great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I am going down to see their actions are as wicked as I've heard. And if not, I want to know. The other men, these are two angels that were with the Lord, turned and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. And Abraham approached him and he said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sake? Surely you would not do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why you would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. 
Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the Lord replied, if I find 50 righteous in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. And Abraham spoke again, since I have begun, let me speak further to my Lord. Even though I am just but dust and ashes, suppose there are only 45 righteous people rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? The Lord said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people there. Then Abraham pressed his request further. Suppose there are only 40. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 40. Please don't be angry with uh, my Lord. Abraham pleaded, let me speak. Suppose only 30 righteous people are found. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if I find 30. Then Abraham, since I have dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. Suppose there are only 20. Then the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. Suppose only 10 are found there. And the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. When the Lord was finished with his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way and Abraham returned to his tent. I want to talk to you firstly about praying for those who are in way, uh, praying for others that judgment doesn't come, who are in the way of judgment. We know that what's going to happen to planet Earth is judgment. If you don't understand that, then make some minor attempt to read the book of Revelation. You will find that in that book are wars and plagues and judgments of all sorts that are going to be coming to planet Earth very, very soon. Now, we know that we're not going to be here for that. I just want to stress that the rapture is going to take place before the tribulation. That we are not destined to survive the judgment. We are going to be removed before the judgment. Some of that is yet to have, you know, uh, of course, that has yet to happen. That doesn't mean we won't go through some difficult times in the birth pains leading up to that. But the reality of what's transpiring right now is the prelude, as I ministered earlier, the birth pains of what, of coming into the last days and the birth of the kingdom of God on planet earth. You can't escape the unrighteous will be judged. The wicked. I could go through a lineage of all the wickedness that permeates the land. The fact that Ohio just voted to murder unborn babies. It's outrageous. Could go on about the drug epidemic, the murder epidemic, the alcohol epidemic, the pornography epidemic that all saturate the land and are destroying families, 
lives, hearts, souls. And our government and our media call it normal. How dare you speak against these things? That's normal in our day. Don't you know that? You know, I saw a great shirt. I know I read all these shirts. If men are from Mars and women are from Venus, then are the rest of the genders from Uranus? I loved it. Because that's where they're from. This gender fluidity garbage. The outright that offends God. This Sodom was known for its homosexuality. Romans tells us that homosexuality is the lowest depravity that a person can go to. It's wicked. God hates it. And here's Abraham pleading for them. I want you to grasp that. God hates homosexuality. He's going to judge them if they don't repent. It is the lowest debasing. You read Romans chapter 1. It is the lowest debasing of what a human being can do. And Abraham's praying for them. Because he knows judgment is coming. And it's not just going to be on those that are that bad. It's not going to be like, well, you're okay, you're not, you're judged, you're okay, you're not. The whole city is being judged. As you read the book of Revelation, the whole world is going to be judged. There isn't exceptions. Oh, this nation gets a pass. The only one that will, for a short time, will be Israel. And even they're going to have to deal with some things. People need miracles right now. Exodus 32, 11 and 12, But Moses tried to pacify the Lord. O Lord, he said, Why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with such a great power and such a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and whipping, uh, wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. They have gotten into idolatry. They have gotten into all sorts of immorality. When it says they rose up to play, this wasn't they got a football game together or soccer or whatever. They, they were being immoral. And God says, you know what? I'm going to kill And Moses pleads for them. He goes on, Exodus 32, 31 and 32, and Moses returned to the Lord saying, oh, what a terrible sin these people have committed. For they have made gods of gold for themselves. But now if you will only forgive their sins. He says, if not, then erase my name from the record which you have written. You have to see, if you're going to understand the judgment that's coming, how wicked the, these people are. 
Moses, uh, Abraham knew that. When Abraham rescued his son Lot, the king of Sodom and tr- Sodom tried to give him money. And he said, I'm not touching your money. I want your money. Because the king said, give me, I'll give you the money. You just give me the souls. Picture of Satan himself there. Abraham said, I don't want a shoelace from you because you'll brag that you made me rich. I don't want to touch it. He knew who they were. But he's intervening in his prayers for wicked people. And our nation might be full of them, but they need intervention in prayer. You're not going to pray for them if you don't believe their sin is wicked, but that's another sermon for another day. He's intervening for a city. Sometimes it's a nation. We have to pray for Jeremiah, I'm sorry, Nehemiah rather. Chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Hanai, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. And I asked them about the news of the Jews who had returned there from captivity and how they were, uh, and how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, things are not going well for those who have returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down. The gates have been destroyed with fire. And when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, I, uh, for days, I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. This, is, this broke his heart. He heard about a city that was devastated, ruined, in total despair. And he said, I'm going to begin to pray for that. Because they need help. In fact, there are three men. I mentioned this before. I actually preached a sermon in Lithuania on this. There were three men, Nehemiah, Daniel, and Ezra, who all pray for the sins of the nation. They all confess the sin. Now, what's very interesting, I'm sorry, it's not Ezra. It's, it's Nehemiah, Ezra, and Daniel. What's very interesting is those three are very righteous men. Somehow when they're talking about the idolatry and the immorality of the nation, they're not actually talking about themselves when they say we sinned. But they make it plural because they're willing to confess and say, you know what, Uh, I may not have done that, but I need God's help just as much. To intervene. Daniel 9, 3 through 6. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. I prayed, O Lord, my God, and confessed. O Lord, you are a great and awesome God. You are always filled with your covenant and you keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commandments. But we have sinned. And done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commandments and regulations. We refuse to listen to your servants, the prophets who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. He makes this plural. We, we, 
He's confessing. He's saying, you know what? We, we need God to intervene. Second, uh, first Timothy chapter two, verse one, I urge all of you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and giving thanks for all men. Interceding sometimes for people we don't know. Whether that's government officials, kings is what it's talking about there, government officials. You might not like Biden, you might not like Trump, you might not have liked Obama or Bush or whoever, but you have a Christian obligation to pray for them. Even if you don't like their policies, should have been impeached. That's been the disaster since Clinton. It really has been. There are people you don't know. There are people who have wronged you. Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. As they stoned Stephen, Acts 7, 59 and 60, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. With that, he died. Praying, believing God. Here's Abraham. He hears that Sodom is going to be destroyed. Judgment is coming. People are going to be judged. He makes this very interesting in his prayer. The first thing he does is he puts... Out God's character. He says, God, you're righteous. You do what is right. Abraham is not appealing because he has clout. He's not saying, well, God, I've served you for so long. You know, I've been coming to this church for 28 years and I deserve a certain standard with you because I've done such and such. He says, God, you're righteous. Not me, you. You're the righteous one. Verse 25, surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous with the wicked. Why should you be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same? Surely you wouldn't. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is God, we need you to do this. I can't do this. I've been a pastor a long time. I've realized very, very shortly into my ministry, I can't save anyone. It's not in my power. If it was, I would gladly do it. People make decisions. Long-term saints, short-term saints make bad decisions. Some of them get involved in things. Some of them stop doing what they need to be doing. Whatever it is. But he's appealing to God. Would you move? 
Abraham is not, he doesn't go down to Sodom. He can't go to Sodom. That's not where he needs to be. But he can pray. And he's appealing to who God is. Oswald Chambers wrote in his book in leadership, he said, God never gives us discernment in order that we may criticize, but that we may intercede. To pray for others through the power. This is why we use the name of Jesus. Praying in the name of Jesus. Why? It's like power of attorney. I have a power of attorney right now on my mother, but if I sign my name on her documents, I have to write acting for Janet Sullivan. I have to do that. That's why at the end of our prayer, we don't pray in our righteousness and go, Lord, hey, I've done a lot of good things, so tack it up and do it for me. No, in the name of Jesus. Because, Lord, you're the one who did this. Abraham also feels the responsibility. Verse 20 of our text, Genesis 18. So the Lord told Abraham, Abraham, I've heard the great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. One man said of intercessory prayer, it means being coming responsible for a particular situation, individual, group, as the Holy Spirit gives us a burden and continuing to carry that burden until it is lifted. We know judgment's coming. We know it. God's told us that. He's given us the responsibility Therefore, it should be our responsibility to pray. To pray for those. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will restore their land. Second Chronicles 7.14 God is looking for people who would stand between the living and the dead. It's easy to criticize. It's easy to politicize. It's easy to moralize. Those people, they're doing. They shouldn't. Do you know what he did? Do you know what she said? Do you know, that's easy to do. That takes zero spirituality because it's all carnal. But what about praying for somebody? Laying hold and talking to God about them. Psalms 106 verse 23, So he declared he would destroy them. But Moses, his chosen one, stepped between the Lord and the people, and he begged him to turn from his anger and not destroy them. Abraham doesn't just throw out a quick little flippant prayer either. God, save them all. He contends. Lord, if there's 50, okay, 45. Listen to the terminology. This is the New Living Translation terminology. Then Abraham spoke again. Since I began, let me speak further to my Lord, even though I am just dust and ashes. 
Verse 29, Abraham pressed his request further. Verse 30, please don't be angry with me, my Lord. Abraham pleaded, let me speak. Verse 31, Abraham said, since I've dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. And finally, verse 32, finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. He's pressing in for this. Now, he's going down in numbers to try to save the city. And I think in his mind, he's like Lot, his wife, his four daughters, two son-in-laws. We got ten. We're going to get the city spared. Jesus said, of course, not all cities are going to respond. Some the preacher's just going to wipe the dust off their feet and go on. He actually says of Sidon and Tyre, it would have been better for you to have been in Sodom because the miracles that were done in you, the judgment that will come upon you. Pressing in in prayer. 50 to 45 to 40 to 30 to 20 to 10. This is not just a casual prayer. It's not just a little bless this hamburger and save everybody. Amen. Let's eat. Think about where we're in Abraham's place. We know judgment is coming. You can't not look at this world between the wickedness of the sin, the prophecies with Israel, the insanity of the pending world war that we're on right now. You know, again, if you don't follow the news, you know, we're, uh, our administration just spent $8 billion to, to arm Taiwan. Military insurgents have been attacking our bases in Syria. Turkey is now definitely flinging away from NATO. All sorts of things are happening right now. We know that there's also the wickedness and all the accumulation of iniquity that's coming to a a head. Luke 17, 27 through 30 tells us that in those days the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up until the time Noah entered the boat and the floods came and destroyed them all. And the world will be as in the days of Lot when the people went about their daily business, eating and drinking and buying and selling and farming and building until the morning Lot left Sodom and the fire and brimstone, uh, uh, burning sulfur rained down upon from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual right up until the day when the Son of Man is revealed. They don't know. There are millions of sinners right now that don't know the judgment they're coming under. They don't get it. I was behind a car today. You know, isn't it amazing some of the most liberal-minded sinners cover the back of their car with bumper stickers. It's fascinating to me how many, you know, I'm pro-abortion and I vote, and you know, and this and that, and you know. 
And I thought, God, you got to save this girl. She has no idea the judgment that she's pending towards. None. Clueless. That's what Jesus says. They're building, farming, buying, selling. Business as usual. No idea that they're not going to bed that night. Cities and nations we can pray for. Because prayers change things. Amos chapter 7, verses 4 through 6. Then the sovereign Lord showed me another vision. I saw him preparing to punish a people with a great fire. The fire had burned up the depths of the sea and was devouring the entire land. Then I said, oh, sovereign Lord, please stop. For we will not survive, for Israel is too small. And then the Lord relented of his plan too. I will not do that either, said the Sovereign Lord. Now, you can read that and pass over it and miss it. But he's pleading that judgment would not come to these people. And God doesn't bring judgment on them. The pleading of this. It was time sensitive. Verse 22 of our text tells us that the men turn and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. They're on their way. In fact, they'll be there that evening. By morning, it's all done. Now I want you to consider that. It's time sensitive. We're up against the time clock right now. Jesus is coming very soon. I don't know if it's this year, next year, the year after. I don't know. But it's very soon. We're running out of time. Abraham sees them leave. He knows. He's got the Lord right there. He has minutes. It's not like, I'll get to this next year. I've got some carnal things that I want to do right now, so I want to be bitter and I want to be angry and I want to, you know, sin and I want to do this, so I'll get to that next year. You don't get time. You don't have time. Abraham realized, I got to get on this right now. The hour, the need right now is prayer. Prayer and evangelism. This is why God gets... I'll just put this out. This is why when you're not in tune with God, God's offended at you. He gets offended at people because He understands the time. You get your little attitude. God help you. I pray you'll repent. Note that this is also one man. He doesn't call 15 people. He doesn't get everybody around and pray. One man. One person's prayers can change everything. One person standing in the gap. Finally, Abraham pleaded, verse 32, 
Lord, don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. Suppose there are only ten there. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy the city for the sake of the ten. The sad thing is there wasn't ten. There wasn't ten. Do you know today, true story, little aside, has nothing to do with the sermon, but Sodom in Israel actually exists today? Would you want that mailing address? I wouldn't. But standing in the gaps can change lives. You know, Peter was told by Jesus that the devil wanted to sift him like wheat. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have repented, turn again to me and strengthen your brothers. I prayed for you. One person's prayer. Your prayers. A person. A family. A city. A nation. Could be changed by your prayers. Me? Yeah, you. One person. It just takes one person. Fascinating time in English history is Victoria and Mary, Queen of Scots, and that whole, the whole Catholic Protestant thing that was going on. The shift as King Henry VIII tried to Ripped the English nation out, not because of revival like the Dutch had, but because of political and his desire to divorce and have this Pope wouldn't sanction it and on and on it went. And so formed his own church and it was going back and forth between the Protestants and little. What happened in the midst of that is revival broke out. And the Catholics actually had a time where they were taking back the throne under Mary, Queen of Scots. When Mary, Queen of Scots, took over, she began a persecution against the Protestants. But there was another Scotsman, John Knox, preacher, who famously prayed, give me Scotland or I die. His intercession and selfless labors brought revival to Scotland. To the point where Queen Mary of Scots is reported to have said, I fear the prayer of John Knox more than all than the assembled armies of Europe. I fear the prayers of John Knox more than the assembled armies of Europe. She may have been a Catholic, but she got it. Prayer is powerful. We know judgment is coming. Abraham is pleading for the land. Whether that's Rochester, Syracuse, Greece, Brockport, cities beyond, nations, India, Nepal, whatever it might be, Ireland, Lithuania, pray for Lithuania. That God would intervene and move in a powerful 
and mighty way. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. There's a wickedness in the land. There's a wickedness in the land. It's permeating houses, even some Christians. Where Christianity now doesn't think things like abortion, pornography, or divorce are wrong. That's sad. That's scary. It's frightful. Prayer can change everything. Prayer can turn the hearts of people. Sodom was wicked. It is still to this day. We, you know, in in English vernacular and such, thought to be evil and wicked. rescued out of there. His wife, his daughter, now his wife made some bad decisions after she got saved. She turned back. She had an eye towards that. But God wants us to intervene. The story is there. Will you press the issue? Unsaved loved ones, will you press the issue? sons and daughters, mothers and fathers, spouses sometimes, cousins and grandparents and whatever it might be, who aren't saved. And if you're living in your little carnal little bubble, you won't be bothered by that at all. It will come up casually, but you won't press in in prayer. That's what we need. Salvation begins with a prayer. People who will come to the place where they'll ask Jesus to forgive them of their sins. If you don't know Jesus in a personal way, it's pending judgment. But the good news is, Jesus can help you, forgive you. Prayer of repentance. He'll turn away judgment. Just like that. Just like Amos' prayer. The all-consuming judgment that was on your life because of sin can be erased in a moment of time through the blood of Jesus. And you're here. You're not right with God. You need Jesus. I wonder if you very quickly slip up your hand. Pray for me. I need to get my heart right with God. Or maybe you're backslidden. Maybe nobody even knows you're backslidden. But you've been flirting with Sodom and Gomorrah for too long. You said, you know what? I need to get my heart right with God. Pop this little carnal bubble that I've lived in. Get my heart right. Slip up your hand very quickly. Changing the call then to Christians. Our responsibility then is to pray. Lots of people 
in desperate, desperate, desperate situations. Their lives are screwed up because of sin, yes. But they don't even get the judgment that they're living under. The judgment that's going to come to planet Earth very short. You know, the first horse, for the second horse, the red horse, one quarter of the world's population will die. That's, inc- that's incredible. We need to pray to see people rescued out of that. Let's all stand. These altars are open. We're going to give time for people to talk to God. You're my refuge
Let's give him praise. Thank you.